Hi everyone and welcome to South Asia Sphere, our monthly roundup of news events and developing stories across South Asia. I'm Raisa and I'm joined by my colleagues Shubanga, Marlon and Shweta from Colombo, Sri Lanka, as well as our engagement editor Aimun from Karachi, Pakistan, and our multimedia editor Sana from New Delhi, India. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. So our big story in this edition is on unpacking the protests and the political implications around Sri Lanka's economic crisis as well as Pakistan's successful no confidence motion against Imran Khan. In around South Asia in 5 minutes we're talking about the military junta in Myanmar targeting high profile dissidents by stripping them of citizenship, the tragic resurgence of communal violence in several states of India, Nepal's upcoming local government elections and recent air strikes targeting civilians in two different Afghan provinces. In our cultural section bookmarked, we'll be talking about our coverage of Film South Asia which was held recently in Nepal. Let's talk about what's happening in Sri Lanka. So, um For listeners who have been reading up on Sri Lanka and uh, seeing distressing videos and images along with ap- apocalyptic analysis on local and international media about the state of Sri Lanka and uh, since we have four members on our team uh, who are currently based in Sri Lanka um, I think I think guys we can confidently declare that uh, it's all true and we are in fact in crisis am i right <laughs> I think that would be a fair assumption. Yes. Yeah, and I mean just today as we are recording this, May 9th, uh, 2022, uh we've just seen attacks against uh, peaceful protesters by um, pro-ruling party supporters in Colombo and also in Kandy. Um and uh we've just got reports that the Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksha has also resigned. So, as you can see, it's uh it's a very uh it's it's been very eventful. uh for us uh, in sri lanka and it still is a developing story um yeah and i think it's it's not been so much fun for our team members aimon and sana who is uh, not based in colombo you know they've been subjected to this every day in our daily meetings uh, sorry guys but uh, the current crisis has taken over completely and it has consumed uh, everything we do i mean if i walk outside my house right now uh there's a queue stretching for miles from the fuel station and this has been our reality for the past few months you know sri lankans have been waiting in queues for fuel for gas for milk powder and and even passports and i mean just two weeks ago i had to wait from like midnight to 3:30 am in the morning to get fuel so i think uh talking about queues would give us a good starting point to where this all began um and because they would offer us insight into uh into the protest that have swept across the country um you know ending with today's uh you know events um so according to uh, a protest tracker maintained by watchdog there have been more than uh, 500 protests that have taken place all over the island and uh, the first signs of dissent were shown at these queues uh which have kind of mutated into island wide protests um so why are sri lankans waiting in queues 
well uh, thanks martin for that background um i think in, if if people have been following uh, even a bit of what's going on in sri lanka they will have some some rough idea about the outline, outlines of what's been happening but just to recap um sri lanka is currently facing the you know the worst economic crisis in its modern history um this is principally seen in you know the shortages um regarding gas fuel medicine uh there have been power cuts you know across the country for a few months now uh and this is largely because the country's foreign reserves have been severely depleted over the past few months especially because uh, they've been servicing the country has been servicing its various debt obligations in foreign currency and uh, as the country relies on imports for a lot of these essential items um all of which need to be paid in foreign currency principally dollars um the country is seeing you know all of these shortages in fact only today the country's largest gas supplier announced that they're uh, officially out of cooking gas and you know they've been urging people to no longer wait in queues um and the reason broadly speaking is uh, you know due to kind of economic mismanagement by the past few governments but principally the the current government which took a few decisions that really took the country over the over the edge um and also because of the effects uh, of easter attacks but even more so the the covid pandemic um now um i think again the news of protests are also something that have been you know around and uh, in the international press as well uh, what is perhaps a bit bit less obvious in most of these reporting is uh, you know just the changing nature of the protests on the ground um and since again as as uh, people who've been core based here in colombo perhaps we can see a few uh, things about you know remarkable aspects of the ongoing movement uh, and how things might evolve in the coming days i think one of the most unique aspects about the protesters is that they come from you know all segments of society across demographics and there is truly um, an organic feel about it now uh, if you talk about the mirihana protest which happened over a month month ago it, this was one of the first large protests to take place um you know families had come out with their kids for protest you know to and 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 also i mean maybe uh, to give an example to show how uh, how diverse these protests are and the protesters i mean i can give an example of a of a of a friend uh, who who is you know who's pregnant and would be giving birth next month and uh, you know she has been regularly uh, you know she's been going to these protests you know despite her difficulties and um, and she's also an artist and at uh, at gota go village at golfes she uh, initiated this collective um, large mural painting project and you know there were people from all ages who took part in coloring this mural i mean this is only like one story out of like thousands of similar stories uh, from you know like all over the island but i think it shows how how diverse and how organic these protests are yeah that's right marlan i think it's really important to highlight that there's lots of different types of protests that are taking place um and not just in colombo i think there's been a lot of media attention focusing on gotago gama uh gama meaning village um at golface but it's important to note that there have been um several kind of similar sites which have been mushrooming across the island um in areas like matara gol 
Candy and Kurunagala. And the rallying cry um, from all of them is for members of the Rajapaksa families to step down. That's right, Raisa. In recent weeks, different protests have been taking place outside Colombo. On 28th April and 5th May, trade unions across the country, including health, electricity, railway, education, and manufacturers were on strike, demanding the president's resignation. And today, 6th of May, uh, 2,000 trade unions are to withdraw from services and launch an indefinite strike from midnight. It's also important to note that the demands for accountability don't end at the financial crisis. Sri Lanka's political minorities from around the island have been extending their support to the protest. Um, this includes the families of the disappeared in the north and east who have been challenging the state and protesting continuously for 1,900 days with no answers. The protests, which have been ongoing since 2017, have received little support and often met with disproportionate violence. And during the attacks that took place today that Marlon talked about, uh, tents set up by the families of the disappeared were also kind of demolished among the other tents that were put up by protesters. Uh, thanks, Rita. I'm curious, uh, how has the media been reporting these protests and the violence? So, specifically on the question of uh, violence and how that has been reported, I think at least until today, um, you know, that has been somewhat um, slightly vague, especially when the reporting came from international press. Um, in some cases, characterizing, you know, a complete movement as violent um, quite inaccurately. There were incidents of violence instigated uh, by the state uh, in case of two provincial towns um, by the police. Um, but more recently and specifically today, um, there has been uh, slightly more larger scale violence by um, groups uh, of supporters of the ruling party who uh, went after peaceful protesters. Uh, and that is being extensively covered domestically and slowly, I think, beginning to be covered in that internationally as well. So I think we'll have to wait and see how that evolves and how the coverage of that evolves as well. So I just wanted to ask what political action can be taken based on the protesters' demands. Yeah, I'm on. So at the moment, um, or rather even before today's events, there were three main kind of options being discussed. Uh, one is for the president to resign voluntarily with parliament electing an interim president in the, in his place. However, the president, Gotabe Rajapaksa, has thus far refused to step down. Um, so apart from that, uh, there have also been two no-confidence motions, which have been initiated by the main opposition party, the SJB, against the government and the president, respectively. Although the opposition didn't really have the numbers to carry either one through by the last count. However, these were the main options being considered before today. Um, the situation has changed somewhat since uh, Mahinda Rajapaksa has just announced his resignation, which if it is accepted would mean that the cabinet stands dissolved. That situation is still uncertain at the moment because people are saying that it remains to be seen whether it will be accepted by his brother. Um, however, apart from that, a few uh, MPs have also tendered their resignations following the announcement of Mahinda's resignation. 
Yeah, and Raisa, I mean, uh, before this, um, there was some talk of impeachment, right? Yes, so another kind of option being discussed was of filing an impeachment motion against the president. Um, but that process is quite complex. It requires several conditions to exist in order for it to be successfully carried out. So within parliament, it would need at least a two-thirds majority or for at least half of the MPs to vote in favor and for the speaker to be satisfied that an impeachment motion is warranted. There have been kind of other more long-term kind of political kind of solutions being discussed. Um, One of them has been um, discussion of abolishing the system of executive presidency, which actually has been another of the protesters' demands. We've seen a few of the protesters kind of carrying posters talking about this in more recent, um, over the past month. So... In line with that, the cabinet has supposedly been developing an amendment which is very similar to the 19th Amendment of the Constitution, which was passed by the previous government. There have also been a couple of private members' bills uh, with different iterations being proposed. But of course, none of this has been made officially public. Um, I'm saying of course because unfortunately our legislative process has kind of traditionally been a bit opaque and there's been a lack of consultation. So, you know, it's usually been through Twitter or on other social media platforms that drafts have been made publicly available. And it's, you know, because of that, it's never clear whether these are the latest versions. And there is, you know, deep public skepticism that any of these proposed measures are going to be carried out. Yeah, just to add to that, Raisa, I think um, we should also uh, talk about how... um the opposition parties have been uh, kind of acting uh, throughout this whole saga. And I think from, um, I mean, there, there is a general uh, feeling from the people that they are not doing everything in their power to uh, to pressurize the government to resign. And, uh, you know, most of, their, most of their actions, including this proposed 21st Amendment to the Constitution, is also seen as uh, quite ineffective. So there is a general, I think, consensus among the people that uh, that the opposition parties themselves, especially uh, led by the you know the the, the main opposite opposition party, which is the Samagijana Balavege, uh, is not doing uh, everything in their power uh, or are incapable of doing uh, you know anything to you know put more pressure on the government. Thanks, Marlon. Um, And from Sri Lanka, we are moving on to Pakistan, which is also seeing turmoil and political uncertainty after a no-confidence motion against Imran Khan succeeded. Um, We actually held a Twitter space last week on this, which was moderated by Aimun. Aimun, do you want to just walk us through a little bit of uh, what happened? Yeah, thank you, Raisa. Uh, we spoke to uh, Omer Javed, Reema Omar, and Gibran Nasser, who are like research experts in like political in the political field and the legal field, and we gained a multifaceted understanding of the political crisis that Pakistan is currently facing. We kept in mind the legal and political fallout of the ousting of the PTI government, and we traced the historical processes that led us to the led us to this moment. Um, the Conversation is now available as a separate podcast on our website, so the audience can like just go to himalmag.com and access it there. So I think we can move on to our next segment, which is around South Asia in five minutes. 
Thanks, Simon. Uh, we'll begin with Myanmar. So, Myanmar's military government's prosecution of dissidents continue, uh, and in recent months, they appear to have used the termination of citizenship as a tool for political repression. Recent reports from the country note that since March this year, over 30 dissidents, uh, including officials, diplomats, um, were unwilling to cooperate with the military or those associated with the government in exile. Um, you know, groups of these people have been stripped of their citizenship, which is, of course, a serious breach of international human rights law and, you know, various protections against statelessness. Um, according to several state media reports, these citizenships were terminated ostensibly because they committed, and I quote, acts that could harm the interests of Myanmar, end quote. Um, on a related case, the Myanmar opposition leader Aung San Suu Kyi has also been recently found guilty on uh, 11 counts of corruption, um, and the appeals against the five-year sentence has now been rejected by the Union Supreme, Co- uh, Supreme Court. Um, she now faces a range of other charges, again related to corruption, uh, which could potentially bring with it over a hundred years in prison sentences. So that'll be something to follow up and see how it develops. And over in India, on 10th April, during the Hindu festival of Ram Navami, several Indian states, including Madhya Pradesh, Gujarat, Jharkhand, and West Bengal, witnessed some deeply disturbing events related to anti-Muslim attacks and hate speech. On 16th April, further violence was seen in Delhi, Karnataka, and Andhra Pradesh, followed by more violence in Maharashtra against Muslim communities. The clashes left two people dead and resulted in homes and shops being set on fire and attempts to raise saffron flags outside mosques. In Jahangipuri and other affected areas in Delhi, the administration responded by sending bulldozers to demolish Muslim-owned shops, businesses, houses, even after the Supreme Court ordered a halt to operations. Last week, over 97 people were arrested after communal tensions heightened in Rajasthan's Jodhpur before Eid on Tuesday. Authorities have also suspended mobile internet services and imposed a curfew in areas under the jurisdiction of 10 police stations across the city. Uh, That's right, uh, Shweta. On uh, 9th May, the administration in Delhi also sent uh, bulldozers in the Muslim-majority Shaheen Bag area of Delhi in what it calls an, uh, and I quote, anti-encroachment drive, unquote. Uh, Shahinbagh is the same iconic place which became as epicenter of the nationwide protests against the citizen, uh, against the Citizenship Amendment Act or CEA in India in 2019-20. Uh, the demolition drive was halted amidst uh, protests. There was also news on some protesters being detained by the police. Uh, the Supreme Court refused to entertain a petition filed by the party here, CPIM or the Communist Party of India Marxist, against the demolition drive and has asked the party to approach the Delhi High Court. Uh, there were also uh, communal tensions being witnessed in the Indian state of Maharashtra and Karnataka. And uh, this time it was around the use of loudspeakers in mosques. So members of the far-right political parties in these states are boycotting the use of loudspeakers in mosques by playing Hindu devotional songs on loudspeakers in front of mosques. So that has created some tension in these areas. 
Thanks for that, Sana and Shweta. Uh, meanwhile, in Nepal, uh, Nepal is preparing for local government elections, which is scheduled for May 13th. Um, over 100,000 candidates have filed nominations. Um, the nomination process itself saw some turmoil, particularly for the governing coalition of Nepali Congress, uh, CPN, Maoist Center, CPN, Uni- Unified Socialist, the uh, Janata Samajpati Party, and Rastriya Janamocha, who weren't often able to agree on candidate selection. Um, some of the partner parties actually fielded so-called rebel candidates against the alliance's official candidates instead. And some of these kind of prospective candidates were talking about arrogance among the alliance partners. Um, comparatively for the opposition, um, it was somewhat smooth sailing, as it has only forged um, alliances in a few areas, um, areas like Japa, Chitwan, Putwal, and Birganj. Uh, the party, however, did face criticism for fielding some controversial figures like Keshav Stapit in uh, Kathmandu and Krishna Tapa in Pokhara. Uh, Stapit in the past has twice been accused of sexual harassment, while Tapa has run into controversy for calling to release individuals who were detained for caste-based discrimination. In Afghanistan on 29th April, the Sahib Khalifa Mosque in Kabul became the latest target in a series of terrorist bombings over the past four weeks. Security officials said at least 10 people were killed and 30 wounded inside the mosque. Millions across 11 provinces in Afghanistan faced blackouts on 30th April after two power transmission towers were blown up near Kabul. Before this, there were major attacks across Afghanistan with over 70 Afghans, including many children, were killed and more than 160 wounded. The attacks targeted areas of Kabul and Kunduz that is home to a large Hazara community, including one high school and education center and two other mosques. These recent attacks suggest that the Taliban's month-long crackdown has not been able to curtail ISIS-K activity. So not only is the Taliban directly threatening Hazara community, it is also unable to protect them and other minorities against these attacks as the threat of violence grows in Afghanistan. And now for our culture section, Bookmarked. Thanks, Shweta. We'll begin with Film South Asia 2022. Uh, which is uh, South Asia's most interesting and important um, documentary film festival, um, which I can also say comfortably because FSA is a sister organization of Himal. Um, so the film festival was held uh, in Lalitpur in Kathmandu Valley a um, couple of weeks back, and it brought together filmmakers um, and you know film lovers from around the region, around the world. Um, it featured over 70 uh, documentary films that were selected from around 3,000 documentaries, I think, which, which came in as submissions. And uh, to cover, you know, the event and the films, um, we sent our uh, multimedia editor, Sana, to Kathmandu. Um, so, Sana, what did you see at the FSA and what was your uh, uh, appraisal of it? 
Thanks, Shubhanga. Uh, it was nice to finally attend an in-person film festival and interact with filmmakers. Uh, the films at FSA covered a wide range of issues, and I think it was a testament to what the South Asian region has been facing, you know, in terms of cultural and political movements in the past few years. Uh, there were films that showed how people coped with the COVID-19, such as uh, Windows of Time, Stories from the Second Floor. And Mahal's school family going live, which uh, specifically focused on the challenges of e-learning during the pandemic. Uh, there were a series of films that questioned uh, gender roles, binaries, and choices. Uh, to name a few, there was uh, Decoding Gender from Bangladesh, uh, Blues of Pink from Nepal, and uh, Gay India Matrimony from India. Also, a number of films that uh, documented how people organized uh, political movements in South Asia. Uh, there was Strike with the Beat from Burma that documented young drummers protesting the Myanmar coup as it happened in the 2021 Spring Revolution. Uh, then there was uh, In a Bit for Bengal uh, from India that traced the rise of uh, Hindu nationalism in Bengal and the citizenship protests that took place in 2020. It was quite a powerful film also because it uh, sort of explained how the Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party has been fueling hatred uh, through social media and other marketing tools to expand its base in cities. Uh, I also enjoyed uh, watching this Stained Dawn or in Urdu, the film was titled Dar Dar Ujala from Pakistan that focused on the challenges of organizing a women's march and feminist movements in Pakistan and uh, how they tackle the propaganda from state, media and radical religious groups. I thought that apart from the story, the film was very uh, well produced and edited. It used a lot of rap songs by female Pakistan artists to capture the mood of the film. Uh, there was another film, uh, Amit the Villas from Sri Lanka, which was being discussed a lot at the festival. Uh, I couldn't watch it though there. Uh, I think, Shweta, you have seen that one, right? Yes, Sana. Um, thank you for that. And also, it was really great to see a few Sri Lankan documentary entries that filmed South Asia this year, including filmmaker Kanan Arnachalam's film called Sri Lanka's Rebel Wife. And the other film that you mentioned, um, I got to watch earlier this year. It's by filmmaker, performer, poet, and academic Sumati Sivamohan, and it's called Amid the Villas. Uh, just to give some brief context for our listeners on what the documentary is about, in the 1990s, the LTT ordered thousands of Muslims in the Jaffna Peninsula to leave their homes. And when the civil war in Sri Lanka ended in 2009, this displaced community of Muslims uh, got to return to Palekuli, a village in northern Sri Lanka's Musili South. And this documentary tells the story of this community and it's about their work and survival and understanding their history, memory and their struggles. I think Sumati expertly captures the kind of harrowing experience of eviction of northern Muslims and the problems that they continue to face. 
um, and it's told through their own voices. And this is one of the many consequences of the war that is rarely discussed with little action taken by the government to remedy the injustice. So this documentary is my recommendation for the month and do check it out if you get the opportunity to uh, catch a screening of Sumathi's film. Thanks, Shweta, for those um, details. Um, I mean, what I particularly also liked about uh, the FSC this time around was that even though it was a, you know, it was an in-person event and a, I think, highly awaited in-person event after the pandemic, um, they also actually made all the all the films available online uh, for the period of the festival. So that was uh, that was quite nice. Um, now the festival concludes with several awards, um, including the Rambadu Trophy for the best documentary film. Um, Sana, what do we know about these uh, winning documentaries? Can you maybe briefly talk about them? Uh, yes, Shubhanga. The winner of the Ram Bahadur Trophy uh, for Best Film at, at Film South Asia was Tang or uh, Longing by Bani Singh from India. And uh, I was very lucky enough to catch the film at the festival. Uh, it beautifully captures the filmmaker's journey as she tries to trace down friends of her father, who was actually a member of the first Indian hockey team to win the Olympics gold. So through her journey, she reflects on, you know, India-Pakistan, partition, love, loss, and friendship. Uh, it was quite an emotional film. And uh, we also have a, a interview of the filmmaker Bani Singh on our Himal's uh, YouTube channel. So for those who want to uh, take a look at it, they can check our uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, Sana, I uh, managed to watch Tang as well since um, some of the documentaries were streamed online as well. And uh, that one was available. So I watched it and I agree. I thought it was very powerful because it captures a personal experience of partition and it really sort of captured, I felt, the sort of invisible pain that uh, was caused within even a single team that ended up being splintered by partition. Um, I also like that it had um, a really fully fleshed out story. Um, some of the other shorter documentaries that I watched were more slice of life reportage. And while those can be nice as well, um, this felt like a really fully fleshed out story. And it was also beautifully shot um, and captured the director's journey at documenting her own father's story and her own tenacity in kind of tracking down these details. Um, I also really enjoyed Strike with the Beat, which I think you mentioned before as well. Um, which captured the street protests in Myanmar after the military coup. Um, it also included, you know, it recorded important details, um, such as the crackdown on those protesters and recording the names of the people who lost their lives. Um, I was also interested to note, actually, um, in that documentary that they had this slogan that has been used a lot in Sri Lanka as well, which is, you messed with the wrong generation. And seeing that being reused makes me wonder whether some of the protesters have been watching uh, footage coming out from Myanmar and whether that's where some of the inspiration is. Um, there's been some criticism, of course, uh, from Sri Lanka of using that kind of slogan, given that, you know, there has historically been the uh, history of protest movements and pushing back against state repression. But I just found it interesting and unexpected to see... Um, a slogan being used uh, that we've seen a lot in Sri Lanka being used um, 
in Myanmar as well. Um, and yeah, I also watched Blues of Pink and Come for a Drink, Can't She? Both of which were Nepali documentaries where the directors had an empathetic gaze towards their subject and both of them tackled gendered issues. Um, Come for a Drink, Can't She? was about unpacking stereotypes around alcoholism among women from the Nepali Rai community. And Blues of Pink was about the story of a member of the Hijra community living in Janakpur. Does anybody else have any other recommendations? Oh, I don't have a recommendation. I just have a request. As um, Sana mentioned earlier, all of this is up on our YouTube channel. We have film reviews. We have interviews with uh, filmmakers. We have an insight into how like Film South Asia panned out. So, like, go check it out. And also, like, you know, as the old saying goes, like and subscribe. On that note, that's it for this edition of South Asia Sphere. Do head to our website, himalmag.com to see more Himal's work. And while you're at it, check out our membership plans and support us. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.